welcome to the Diary of a Sales Expert podcast. My name's James White, and I'm on a mission to help business owners and sales professionals all over the world get incredible sales results. So thanks for listening, and let's get started. So welcome to another edition of uh, Diary of a Sales Expert podcast. And as you all know, I love to do some incredible interviews with incredible people. And I'm absolutely honoured that uh, a wonderful lady that I was introduced to called Catherine Baker has, has been able to join me today. Catherine is an incredible lady. She's a non-exec director. She is involved in so many different organisations, which we'll talk about in a moment. But she's also the author of a brilliant book um, called Stay in the Distance, which is, I think has uh, she'll explain herself, has had a number of incredible sports people across the world um, talk about and uh, share the, the insight that she's given so um i'm very grateful she's given up given up her time to share with me so thank you Catherine. i'm absolutely delighted to be here james thanks for inviting me on and i'm really looking forward to our conversation great look so, so look just for those that don't know much about you and obviously they will get to know you and by the way your book is in the background there and we're going to actually as i always say stay tuned at the end of the podcast because we always um release and give some copies of the book for, for those that are here talk to me about, about you and, and and first your background and, and and how you got into doing what you're doing now basically over the, the course of your career yeah, because um, it's quite a potted uh, history, as as is often the case, isn't it? So I'll 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 try and give you a bit of a flavour, but not not keep it too long. So I'm one of five. My twin and I were numbers four and five. So my parents had five children under the age of six. So as you can imagine, it was a pretty chaotic childhood, but one in which you know getting outside, activity, sport was really encouraged. So very fortunate in that. Also fortunate in having older siblings. So always having bigger, better, stronger to kind of compete with. That, that was all very relevant in me having uh, a real interest in and, and early success around sport. Um, so tennis and hockey were the two sports that I sort of really, really um, got, got going with. When I was 12, I was asked to choose between the two if I wanted to make it. It was suggested I needed to do that at that age. I couldn't because I loved both of them for different reasons. I loved tennis because it was adversarial, gladiatorial, up to you. You know, you had to really rely on yourself. I loved hockey because I played with all my mates and, you know, I was good at it, etc. So um, I, I didn't choose, continue playing both at representative level. But when I got to 18 and left school, sort of decisions to make, and actually I went down the academic route. So I went to university, very fortunately sponsored by a magic circle law firm through law school and trained as a corporate lawyer. So quite, quite a different but you know wonderful first career surrounded by very impressive very professional people stayed in the world of corporate law for 13 years um and then as often happens you know life takes over family family move etc so I had a period where i kind of had a transition phase picking up different skills sampling different things all of which led to giving me the confidence back in 2015 to set up my business sport and beyond which really brought together my knowledge and love and passion around sport and my sort of professional career, and certainly my real interest in leadership. Um, and very fortunately, over the last eight years, I've had the privilege of working with many of our elite athletes, elite coaches. Um, and also, I now coach a number of CEOs uh, across the sports sector and elsewhere as well. On top of non-exec roles, as you say, three non-exec roles as well. So quite busy. Okay. You are a very busy lady, and we we talk about that. We were talking before today about how you know you were literally you fly you know you're on the train probably I guess rather than flying because you're probably rather than you know, from from Yorkshire to, to London a lot. But just just before we go into the elements around some of the stuff around you know you do talk about you that eighteen year old you that eighteen year old you or that time maybe reaching back to when you were twelve when you were told to pick and choose you know between one and the other you know 
what what was that decision like for you? Because I guess the, the question as you go through life is people have to make decisions. And I know it's probably difficult to go back to when you were 12, but decisions are, are for us all as business owners and people in sports, people to make all the time. How was how was that decision back then for you? And did, did you ever do you ever regret it? Do you ever wish you'd gone down the route of a different path? Would you always sort of think, no, actually, I, I did the right thing and in doing what you did? Oh, gosh, I mean, there's so much in that, James. That's a great question. I think the things I'd pull out, um, knowing yourself, and kind of knowing how you operate and what works for you. So I wouldn't have known that um, thoughtfully really at 12, but I probably knew instinctively that actually, and it's something which has really proved true as I've gone through life and career, I like variety. I'm not very good at being completely single-minded and focused on one thing. So I think part of that decision was around appreciating that if I just chose one, I probably wouldn't do as well as maybe people thought, because I might get a bit bored. Um, And and I'll come back to that in a sec. But I think the other thing that was relevant around that decision was maybe um, support. So from, um, you know, very privileged, fortunate background, but the sort of background where um, it probably wasn't um, considered appropriate for a young girl to go into a professional sports career um, for all sorts of reasons. You know, luckily the world is very different now. Yeah. So it wasn't probably something that I was encouraged to do or supported in doing. And I think that's often quite relevant in our decision making, isn't it? Um, to go back to the focus and knowing yourself. So I'll, I'll, we've got three sons and um, all very fortunate, grown up playing a lot of sport, and really enjoyed it. Um, middle son incredibly talented very natural sportsman uh, youngest son equally very talented but the difference between the two and the younger one actually has gone into professional sports career whereas the middle one hasn't isn't about talent isn't about ability but it's about the 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 sort of mindset and the so the desire and the ability to be total single totally single-minded and focused so when people say to me gosh, you know, your younger son must be so talented to have, you know, got to where he's got to. I'm like, the talent actually is the ability to be single-minded and focused and really know what you want. That's that's the talent because there's hundreds of kids out there with all sorts of ability. So I think that was probably relevant as well. Thinking back to my 12-year-old, um, uh, you know, person, I knew I wasn't, that that wasn't in part of my makeup. But and I want to come back to the element around your son, is that because I think that's really interesting around the, the aspect of, you know what? What a you know that 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 ability, the, the natural ability versus nurture, or the, the mindset versus the aspect around it. But go back to sort of your career as, as becoming a lawyer. What made you choose law as a as a pathway? Was it was there anything particular that was it family? Was it just that you had a? Because I also think there's a lot of things in in law and medicine and those sort of areas that are very similar to sport and a long time. There's a lot of work involved to train and to get to qualification, isn't it? It's not an easy path. Exactly. So I'm definitely driven. I'm definitely someone who strives and works hard. So I think that was relevant. There was, um, you know, family knowledge um, around. So my father was a lawyer. One of my brothers had qualified as a lawyer. So that helps, doesn't it, in terms of understanding those doors? Actually, my my mother who was one of the first women ever to qualify as an architect um right. back in the day um, but then had five children and really really struggled to combine everything um said to me very very sensibly when I was quite young you know the thing about she could see that I was ambitious and I was going to be someone who wanted to have a decent career she said get a professional qualification because you've always got that behind you and no one can ever take that away so I think that's uh, that probably resonated and landed a lot of what your parents say doesn't does it but that one did um yeah, and I think I was attracted to the type of work I felt I was going to be doing. Um, I wanted to go and work in the city, and I very fortunately landed a job with a city firm. And again, I knew I was going to be surrounded in that kind of environment by driven 
Um, and and I'm, I'm careful, careful to overstate driven, and I'm sure we'll pick up on this in the sense that that's got to be sustainable. Um, but but driven by, you know, surrounded by people who were professional, wanted to give of their best and wanted to do well for their clients. And that appealed to me. And we will pick up on the driven angle, but just to go back to to, to the aspect around, you know, the choices that, you know, because obviously you talked about your two sons and you love your sons all the same in the same way. But what do you think is, you know, without going deep into your family and prior and prior, but what do you think has been obviously that single mindedness and determination of your younger son to, but that, that application, what, what do you think, this, and you've obviously worked with and engaged with, you know, business, you know, CEOs, but also those in sport. What is the, can you put your finger on that sort of magic that they have that is the difference between that sort of talent, but then applying the talent? Yeah, um, I'd love to, because I think it's really central to um, what I believe and also what the business is all about. So talent is just the stage, right? Whether it's cooking or music or art or tennis or whatever it might be, we're all going to have natural levels of talent in whatever areas. That's just the stage. The, 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 you know, the anchor, however, the platform, however you want to term it. It's what you do with that talent that it really makes the difference. You can have people who are uber talented in areas and for various reasons don't do anything with it. Other people who naturally have lower levels of talent, but through the right mindset, the right attitude, the right opportunities, the right experiences really drive that through. So that's the first thing. Talent is just that sort of first stage, platform stage, whatever. Then I think um, the mindset piece, you get, you know, some of that might be nature, but a lot of that will be nurture. So the family environment that you're in, there's a brilliant example of an entrepreneur who came up with Spanx and she used to sit around for dinner every night with her family and her dad would say, what did you fail at at school today? And she will say that's what gave her an an appetite to try to fail, to learn from failure, et cetera. So definitely the environment in which you grow up is really important. And I'll come back to that in a sec, actually, because there's some brilliant research that I mentioned in my book. Then I think definitely setbacks um, are relevant. So, for example, youngest son, first time he was put forward for some a, a very exciting selection, he didn't get selected. That was like at 14, 15. What a great opportunity for him then to decide, is this what I want or not? Because actually, if it's not, fair enough, didn't get selected. But if it is, what do I need to do to make sure next time I am selected, what do I need to do that I'm, to make sure I worked hard? He's also had a couple of quite serious long-term injuries, which when you're a young player, you know, you really do build that resilience. So opportunities and, and an environment around you to, to build some of that mindset that perhaps doesn't come naturally. Um I was going to come back, wasn't I, to, oh, the stri- the striving piece. Yeah, so there's a brilliant piece of research I referred to at the beginning of my book called the Great, Great British Medalist Study. There's a piece of work carried out in the Rio cycle. What that means is the time between London 2012 Olympics and Rio 2016. They paired 32 athletes. So 16 pairs of athletes, and in each pair there was a super elite athlete and an elite athlete. Super elite winning gold medals at Worlds, at Olympics, maybe multiple gold medals. Elite making the teams, so making the team for the Olympics, making the Worlds, but maybe not winning medals. They looked at the commonalities between both sets of pairs and the distinctions. And in the commonalities, what they discovered were things like growing up in a culture of striving, having a real level of conscientiousness towards their training and a level of commitment towards their sport. So really fascinating to see those things coming out. Those were common to both sets of athletes. And, and 
so it's kind of, yeah, the conscientiousness and the commitment to it. But what was the did they did the research show actually what was the bit that made the you know because it's and was it natural talent? Was it, I'm just you know because if you if I think about you know athletes and you see some incredible stories of people that obviously you know and I we all love to see it when they they you know they failed not failed is the wrong word but they didn't get the result they wanted to at one Olympic and then they said no I'm going to go again and and I, I remember having a conversation with Max Whitlock you know who was you know from a gymnastic perspective was was you know I didn't get quite the result I wanted so I therefore I went again and and it's that. Did they did they, did the research show sort of what made the difference between sort of those that were happy to be on the team versus those that said no, I'm not happy to be at that level. I want to get higher. Yeah, and there's um there's there's quite a few factors within that, but I'll just draw out one of them because I draw it out specifically in the book around the chapter how to sustain your motivation. Um, so the distinction, one of the big distinctions is whether they focus on process or whether they focus on outcome. So I won't remember the exact stats, but something like 14 out of 16 of the super elite athletes focused as much on process as they did on outcome. And I right. think it was only three of the 16 elite athletes that did that. What, what do I mean by that? So let's say that I've got a bin in the corner of my room, uh, you know, my corner of my office, and I want to throw my apple core into the bin. If I'm just focused on outcome, I'll, I'll do it. And by the time I've got it, once I've got it in, that's it. No, no need to carry on, Right. And also, I'm probably not going to experiment too much in ways to do it. I'm just going to try and get it in as quickly as possible. If I focus on process, however, I might get it in, but I might be annoyed that I haven't quite used the best method or I think I can come up with a better method. So I'm going to keep going and keep going and keep going. So that's obviously relevant to the chapter, how to sustain your motivation, but also very relevant to the distinction between these two sets of athletes. Those who really focused on the process didn't just want to get the best results. They wanted to get the best process possible. They wanted to go about things in the best way possible in order to get these extraordinary results. So there's a number of athletes that I refer to in the book that focus on this. Emma Raducanu was an example when she won you know, the, the US Open. She and her coach at the time, Andrew Richardson, only had process goals through that entire run from the qualifiers to winning the US Open. They didn't have outcome goals. They only had process goals. And, and- and much in the same way, and it's, it's incredible, really insightful. In much in the same way as a lot of people in business see the reward of their skill, call it their sale of their business or success of their business as a, you know, as a byproduct, if you like, of their act of their process. Do you think actually? You know, it sounds a daft thing to say that when you get up and they're on the stage and you've won the gold medal, oh, this is what I've won. But do they actually realise that you know that that's the actual thing they're aiming for? Is it just a a continual? challenge and pursuit of improving the process if that makes sense you know what i mean it's like as if they is, is the actual gold medal or the result just a bit of a byproduct of what they're doing or if they that is their single goal but they just harness their mind to really focus on the on, on the elements that they have to improve the process to get there i think most athletes would say it was a bit of a bit of both but that second bit being key so in other words what do i mean it's good it's important to have an idea of what you're aiming for. If you decide to be a professional athlete, you're doing it. Generally, you don't get paid a huge amount of money unless you're very, very top. You're doing it because actually you really want to achieve, you know, be the best in the world. So definitely having those kind of North Stars is really important. 
But the best athletes will, will be actually understanding that you've got to focus more on the process to get there. There's a great quote from Martina Navratilova. The moment of victory is too short to live for that and nothing else. Right. So if that's all you're living for. Then actually, it's such a short moment. And if you read most biographies of sports stars, you will find a lot of them have a sense of disappointment, a sense of feeling underwhelmed when they actually achieve these things and win these gold medals. Because actually, OK, it's great, but really it's just you know, so there can be a level of disappointment. So the ones that really stay the distance to sustain that performance appreciate that, yes, it's what they're aiming for, but actually that's not maybe going to be as fulfilling as they think. More fulfilling is the trying to be the best that you can possibly be. And so really focusing on the process. And that, and that's, and it's, you know, when you, when you talk about stuff, there's lots of things that go through my mind around sports people I even know and, and, and or, or would like, you know, love to know, but you see the, the results of, yeah, and I give an example of, you know, um, let's take in football for example, and we all know, you know, football's a very, you know, I know you had your your book is the forward was written by Sagar, uh, by you know Gareth Southgate. I say not so, so yet, not <laughs> so yet. Wait until they win the they win the trophy. Yeah. But 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 you know, you see in football a lot, don't you? you know, these young, you know, there's some young men and young women now, fantastically, in terms of you know the, the sport. They're being paid large amounts of money. They have this trappings of lifestyle and the world, you know, but but actually you could argue it's not really achieved much, actually. But then you look at the difference between those that are really at the top of their game. And, I, you know, I, I use Jude Bellingham as an example at the moment, who to me is, you know, not only just the top of his game from an England perspective and from a football perspective, but when you hear this young man talk and the maturity beyond his ear, you know, and, and his ability to, to to sort of say, no, I'm continuing, I've gone to Real Madrid and I'm going to continue to learn and I'm going to... You know, that that difference is incredible, isn't it? And it's a challenge for, 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 for sports people in some cases, though, because they do get into, not in all sports for sure, but in a lot of them, they get that, those trappings and that fame and that adulation. And then that sort of detracts them away from getting to where they want to get to. So it can do. I'm going to make a couple of points on that. The first one, just very quick, but just to, just because I think it's important to reinforce this. Um, there is no doubt that pay structures are getting better in women's sport, but I think you need to be very careful of collating the two groups because in pretty much every sport, men get paid so much more than women. So just just to make, it's improving, but there's still quite a large disparity. Um, I think it's a really good point, though, around um, uh, how you maintain your focus and your desire, probably, especially in a sport like football, where you're from a young age, you're being paid so, so, so much. So, again, I think it comes down to mindset. And actually, um, one of the chapters I have in the book is called How to Bring the Required Discipline to the Table, because it's not just about motivation. Motivation can go up and down. You know, it, it can wane, it can ebb and flow. Actually, the people who really succeed over the long term are the ones who are able to bring that required discipline to the table. And there's a brilliant piece of research from the world of sport called The Mundanity of Excellence. The Mundanity of Excellence. And, and, I, and I love it. And I refer to it in the book because... What it reminds you is that excellence doesn't just happen. We see the end result and we see sports stars or musicians or artists or actors making it look easy. What we don't see is the phenomenal amounts of hard work that have really gone in behind the scenes. You know, there's a lot of sports people who would talk about it's what goes on when no one's looking. That's what makes the difference, et cetera. So to really understand that, um, you know, it is a huge amount of hard work that goes into it. And I think the final point I'll make on that, because to bring it back to business and sort of many of your listeners, one of the things I find, um, I've worked with quite a lot of sports people when they come to the end of their careers and either mentor or coach them around the transition in, into kind of, you know, normal life and perhaps a different kind of job. They will often underestimate the fact that they have been um, 
uh, in an environment where high performance and excellence are a given, where everybody is striving towards that. Now, we see that sometimes in the business world, don't we? But not always. Um, and I think it's easy for under- athletes to underestimate the fact that they've effectively grown up in these wonderful environments. They're not all brilliant. We know some of the issues around high performance sport, and I'm certainly not pretending everything's perfect. But generally, they've grown up in environments where everybody has wanted to do their best. Everyone, as you said, has had that focus on constant learning, that humility to understand you can always get better, that thirst for improvement. We don't see as much of that in the business world. And I think that's something which translates and very well and could translate more across from sport to business. And that's a really, it's a really, I was going to ask you actually, it leads me on nicely to my, you know, my question as to what do you think are the key learnings that most people in business can take from sport? Is it that element of, you know, continuing on with the, and I, I mean, I work with a lot of people in, in a sales and business environment. I was in, in, in the city on, on Tuesday and I was talking to people around, you know, and I have this analogy I use in, in sales, which is you don't get a six pack without doing the sit-ups. And I, and I don't, I don't know, I haven't got one, but the point being I say to people is if you want to make success in sales and business, you've got to make the calls, you've got to do the work, you've got to do the activity. And if you don't, you're not going to get the result. And, and when I relate it back to those sort of physical, you know, or, I, or I'll say to people, if you want to be a really good golfer, you've got to go and practice, you've got to go and put the time in on the, on the range, or you've got a tennis player, you've got to go and practice. So, but that's the sort of similarity. I said, what are, what are the other, sort of, is there any other, you know, key similarities that, that you think or the learnings you think that business can can take from those in sport that, that those in sport just do by day, their day-to-day you know their demeanor and way of being this is a de facto thing for them but business goes well it's different I've never thought of it that way yeah I think I'll, I'll do sort of general and then maybe something specific around that so it's definitely you know what one of the reasons I wrote the book is that we are very used to drawing lessons across from sport, across to business and leadership. You know, there's a huge amount of brilliant books. I've got a lot of them behind me. People will have read all sorts of literature, read newspaper articles, whatever, about the lessons we can take across from sport to business and leadership. The, the challenge I felt around so much of what's out there um, is that it tends to focus on winning or high performance in the moment. And actually, I felt, and this was acutely emphasized during the pandemic, that we'd all be missing a trick because sport's been showing us all along not just how to improve, perform and achieve, but how to do so over the long term in a way that's sustainable. Now, as a leader, and my book is very much aimed at senior leaders, albeit my, you know, teenage and older children are also apparently telling their friends they should be reading it too. But, you know, that's the kind of main target market. As as leaders, you know, life is tough. It can be relentless. Um, So, the lessons that I've focused on are sort of two halves. The first half, how to get the best out of yourself as a leader. And that's very much looking at how you show up to work every day. What, what approach have you got? What's your mindset? You know, what beliefs are you bringing into the workplace? What behaviors are you demonstrating? Those are all critical in making sure that you really can perform over the long term. And there are some brilliant but mostly hidden lessons from sport around that. The second half then looks at how you get the best out of those you lead. And again, we know from sport that a group, the same group of players can perform incredibly different depending on the coach or leader that they have and the environment in which they're in. We see that time and time again, don't we? So again, really shining the spotlight on the lessons from sport that I felt have been missing, but have been there all along, but we just haven't been looking in the right place around how we get the best out of those we lead over the long term. I'm going to give you a specific example, as I said. So because one of the very fair challenges often is it's great, you know, all very well saying these principles apply in sport and this is how you apply them. Business is very different. We're often talking about companies with a massive, you know, 
much bigger number number of people, etc. So really, Catherine, you, can you really transfer those principles across? So one example I'd often use is something called purposeful practice. So you referenced it there, James, where a tennis player or a golfer doesn't just go to the court or the course and just knock a few balls. You know, they're going to practice something specific. So they'll have an aim in mind. They'll be pushing themselves with the particular practice they're doing. They'll be getting feedback from their coach from seeing how their shots are doing. So that's basically the essence of purposeful practice. You've got a specific aim in mind. You go and practice in a purposeful way, you get your feedback and you keep tweaking and improving. Fine in sport, because you practice a lot of the time, you only perform every now and again, whereas in business, we're performing all the time. So, Catherine, how can you possibly say that you can translate that across? Well, are you telling me that you can't take 15 minutes out of your workday to try and focus on a particular skill set? Whether that is when you start meetings, trying to make sure that you build rapport with someone better. Whether that is 15 minutes trying to get better at giving a presentation or delivering a talk, you know, there are so many things that you can do in a purposeful way, practice in the workplace, just in a, in a, in a very short space of time that can make sure that you're steadily improving over time. And that's such a brilliant example, and I and I, I it echoes. I'm so you know echoes so many things that I will. I was at a workshop with clients yesterday where I talked to them about practice, and they were you know, and I was saying to them the same thing. Well, what what stops you from from practicing? Well, one of the things that people always talk about in business is time. But what, I'd be interested to get your views on on the. I mean, you covered it in the book in many respects, but but the element around time management as well, which is actually one of the things that maybe those in sport do. Do they do it better? Are they more protective of their time because a lot of people in business ceos and you know i work you know with a lot of they'll say they're running out of time but actually is it because they're not making effective effective use of their time whereas those in sport are a bit more in tune to know what you know someone again the cricketers i know will say right i know that on tuesday morning i've got to go and practice my bowling on a wednesday morning at 10 you know 10 from 10 to 11 i'm going to practice my batting for example so they're much more focused around utilization of time yeah. Um, so thank you, because, again, it's a really important area. In fact, um, I've got a chapter on that called How to Prioritise Your Time. And I start that chapter with um, a description of Jessica Ennis Hill's superpower. Now, many of your listeners will know Jessica Ennis Hill was the face of the London 2012 Olympics, wasn't she? Can you imagine the pressure on a young woman's shoulders everywhere she looked in London on billboards, on the side of buses? There was her face. You know, amazingly, she performed and she won a gold medal. That, however, is not her superpower. Her superpower had always been her ability to be incredibly focused and to manage her time incredibly well. She would turn up to the track, have absolute clarity and full attention on what she needed to do and then move to the next thing. That became even more critical when she had her son, Reggie, and then she came back in, you know, to, to compete um, uh, at, at the highest level. Easy again to say, fine for professional sports people because... You know, they don't have that many other calls on their time. They've just got to train and perform. But just imagine someone like Jessica Ennis Hill. Think about the or Dame Jessica Ennis Hill now, obviously. Think about the more successful you are. Think of all the calls on your time. You've got people wanting a piece of you from every area. So it is as much a challenge for them as for others. So what do they do? What, what enables them to manage their time well? And what can we take across to, to the world of business? Number one, absolute clarity on their role. So I will often, if I'm working with leaders or delivering a keynote, whatever, I will say to people, can you describe your role in one or two sentences? And a lot of people find that quite hard. I don't mean job title. 
I mean role and what that means. Yeah. A lot of people struggle with that. So that's really important to be able to drop because if you can't define your role, you're going to be saying yes to a whole lot of things that you probably shouldn't be saying yes to. So absolutely understanding your, your what your role is. That then enables you to prioritize, doesn't it? So again, if you're an athlete, someone like Jessica Ennis Hill, if I um, you know, I, I, I'm an athlete, this is what I do, I want to win the Olympics. There's a whole lot of process that's going to go into that. So I need to focus on these priorities, et cetera. So, you know, a better understanding of what the priorities are in order for you to achieve your goals. Um, that ability to say no, I think in business is something which, you know, n- naturally some people will find it harder or easier than others. But again, it's a skill set that you can build up. I'll often have people saying to me, um, you know, I find it hard to say no. So we'll talk about things like building in pauses. So, James, thanks for asking me to do that. Um, I'm just going to just have a think about what else I've got on. Can I come back to you tomorrow and give you my answer? So helpful, especially for people pleasers in actually giving them that support to say no. Um, some people will, will will build a sort of um, set of words or sentences that they use to help them to say no. So really kind of you to ask me, it sounds a great project. I'm really flattered that you want me to be involved, but I've just got too much on and I won't be able to give my full attention to it. So there's lots of ways that people can build up. The other thing then, just to say on that, again, priorities. I will often have senior leaders saying, Catherine, I'm so busy that I don't have time to do my morning morning walk, uh, go for a run, go to the gym, whatever. Um, I try to contain my barely contained frustration and say, we're going to flip it. I'm so busy that I must find time for my morning walk, going to the gym, my run. You know, it's a simple shift, but it is fundamental. Elite sport for many years would have seen well-being and performance as two different ends of the spectrum. Now they see it completely differently. And there's a great quote in my book from um, a, 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 a wonderful sportswoman, Lizzie Simmons, that sports, elite sports fully understood that well-being underpins performance. It's the same in the business world. We all have pressures on us. We all work hard. If you don't prioritize your well-being, you will not be able to deliver a good performance over a sustained basis. I couldn't agree more. And there's a phrase I was given once. I can't remember. The body's the business, right? And the body is your mind, and you. And 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 if you're Absolutely. in business, you, your your body, you know, if you you can't operate if you're not mentally in the right place, or if you're physically in the in the right place. And unfortunately, that's a that's a, a challenge for, for lots of people. Look, there's so many elements that I'm conscious of time. That I want to you know talk through with you, but I want to go back to the idea of the setbacks and the failures because. You know that that obviously you mentioned with your you know your, your son it was a difficult time for him but he's obviously come through that and but and, I, and I've talked to you know the, the athletes that I've worked with and and, and sponsored I should say because I, I have a lot of time for them and they talk about failure one of the things the two cricketers were saying to me which is is, is, is into videos we released next week they, they were like well we fail you know they were saying an average cricketer for example when they when they bowl a ball uh, average uh, sorry start again. The average the average amount of balls it takes to get a wicket is 50 times, okay? So the two guys I was talking to are two brothers, and they were like, well, we fail 49 times before we, before we succeed. And they just make it so nonchalantly, they talk about it as that, but yet failure for, like you say, so many in business is difficult. Now, the lady you mentioned, Spanx, was taught up that, that failure is a good thing. Do you think people in business get taught that failure is a bad thing, whereas lots of people in sport sort of understand that failure is part of their process? Yeah, I think... Um... There's lots I could say say on this. And there's actually a brilliant author called Amy Edmondson, who's just published a new book called The Right Kind of Failure. So if anyone who's really interested in this topic, do 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 look at Amy Edmondson's book. She's a real expert on this from, from Harvard over in the States. Um, right. 
the way that we talk about failure is definitely important. Um, you have to be a bit careful because some businesses hear all this talk about failure and, and think that everyone's suggesting we actively go out of our way to fail. And obviously, in a lot of businesses, especially, for example, airline or health, whatever, you know, that's not, not going to right? So, um that's number one. Second, if, if however, we as, a, as an organization or as a business decide that failure is not acceptable, failure is going to happen. So all that all that results from that is that the failures get hidden underground. They get swept under the carpet. What does that mean? No one's ever going to learn from them. So it's very important to have an environment where it is accepted and expected that there will be failure, like your bowlers saying 49 times out of 50, effectively, that's a failure. But each time they're bowling those balls, they're learning more about the pitch, about the batter they're facing, et cetera. So failure is, is you know, critical to success and to an improvement. I think another point I'd make on it is, um, you know, we all know that being in our comfort zone is a lovely place to be, but nothing ever grows there. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get stretched and, and developed, right? So, ha- how do we improve when we get better? We move out into our stretch zone. So, I always like to think of it as a circle that's your comfort zone, slightly wider circle that's your stretch zone, even wider circle that's your stress zone. You probably don't want to be in your stress zone because it's probably going to be too difficult, and you probably undermine your confidence and have maybe some quite big failures. Stretch zone is a good place to be. But you're probably going to fail sometimes because it's you know outside of your comfort zone. But the more you're pushing yourself there, the bigger that comfort zone circle gets, and the further out are pushed your you know your stretch and stress zone. So, um, if we are not uh, pushing ourselves, we are not going to fail. But therefore, if we're not failing, we're not going to be improving. Um, you know, huge amount there around growth mindset, which I talk about quite a lot in the book, um, misapplied in many ways. It's a, sort of a big thing that people have got wrong sometimes. But fundamentally, it's a very important concept that sports know all along. Uh, and that really, again, speaks to the importance of pushing, challenging, learning from failures, learning quickly, learning well from failures. But that's how you're going to improve. And and, and, it, and the reason I want to pick that up a little bit on this and before we you get on to one other topic about sort of staying the distance, which is the topic of your book, you know, the title of your book. But so I'm a big, I'm a big fan of David Goggins, and I've done David Goggins' challenge. I don't know if you, you know, he's the he's the ultra and marine in in the US who, um, literally is he's talked about as the hardest, you know, hardest person on the planet, as it were, because he's, you know, his mindset is so strong, and he talks about his, the governor in our brains where we have forty percent, and you have to push through it. And he said your your mind is no different to sort of your 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 your, your parts of your body which you want to give up, but you push through those elements. But there is obviously that challenge between sort of staying the distance and keeping on and, and getting to progress and that point where people do say enough's enough, I want to give up. And and do you, in the work you've done with even in business and in sport, has there been anything that you've noticed specifically that is, wouldn't say the difference, those that, it's hard to say quit is the wrong phrase, but those that don't get to that point, but those that then do carry on, is there anything that's obvious you think that's that, that you've seen in the work you do that is, that's 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 what these people have that the others sometimes don't. That that those listening can then say, right, okay, I'm, I know that this is my goal, and I know that I've just got to go through what Catherine said over the course of the next you know few months or years to get to where I want to be. Yeah, again, it's a it's a really good tension that you've picked up there, James. So thank you. Um, I'm just trying to think the best place to start. So we know from a huge amount of research that um, 
the brain can limit what our bodies are capable of. So like you were saying, imagine I'm running a half marathon and I get, you know, I've never run beyond, let's say, eight miles and I get to seven, eight miles and I'm really tired. My brain actually could sort of stop me going on any further. But we know from research that if you fool the brain, it's amazing actually what your body can do. So they've done all sorts of tests where they've set um, challenges for people rowing on rowing machines and they've changed the dials and sort of made them incorrect and people have rowed further or faster faster than they thought they could have done. So we know that that, as you say, the governor of that brain bit is really important. Absolutely. However, you've raised, you know, what I think is a very um, nuanced question around sometimes, does that mean that we're actually pushing ourselves too far? And I think probably the the easiest way to answer it is around the concept of grit. So um, another academic and author from the States called Angela Duckworth did a big piece of work on what she called grit. Um, a a number of years ago now, and I can't remember the exact definition, but basically sort of perseverance towards a long-term goal. And she'd studied all sorts of military cadets and, you know, shown that the ones that had the most grit were the ones that were most likely to to sort of pass out from their training and, you know, as in achieve and succeed and, and, you know, finish their training as opposed to passing out fainting. Um, and, And there was a bit of a backlash off the back of that work, which was, you know, actually sometimes it is right to accept and say, I need to stop. This isn't for me. I'm not going to succeed in this challenge. And it's no, there's no point carrying on. And, and actually, she then sort of came back with a second body of work saying, absolutely right. I'm not suggesting people should be doing this to the extreme because actually you can burn yourself out. You can damage yourself. You can injure yourself. You can try to achieve something which really just isn't for you and you shouldn't be. So that understanding of when to pull back, when to pull out, when to change course is actually really important as well. So it's a it's a really nuanced area. I think it's a fascinating one in terms of when you make that decision. Um, and for those who are interested, again, if you do, if you research Angela Duckworth and, and, and grit, then that's a good place to start in terms of looking at that in a bit more detail. Love it. I love it. I mean, so many insights that you've shared, and I'm conscious that I've got a few minutes left with you, you know, because that's why people, you know, that's why I guess, yeah, you know, it's book number two. Maybe you're going to talk about some other stuff in book number two. Mm-hmm. Gone. But just, just to finish off around sort of stay in the distance, obviously, you know, your book is around, you know, the, the end, you know, I'm guessing, you know, from, from from our conversations that we've had before, it's about the result and 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 the key factors to achieving success aren't like you say in the outcome. It, obviously, what we're going to do is is we're going to put uh, three copies. We're going to buy three copies of the book because your book goes to a fantastic cause. I know you mentioned that the royalties go to uh, a brilliant cause, which I'll, I'll let you share in a moment. But it, 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 for people that are really just thinking, actually, you know, we're obviously going to get a copy of the book. What, what is there anything that's a snippet, a, a synopsis, a brief at the end of it that you would say, actually, these are the things to to, to think about in, in terms of if you want to be successful, if you want to achieve the success that some of the brilliant people you have have worked with that they've got to do. And I'm, I'm guessing it's stay in the distance, but maybe you explain that part. So. Yeah, thank you for setting me up with that. So, yeah, um, th- those that get the book, I really hope you enjoy. I'm very fortunate that Gareth Southgate, England men's football manager, wrote the forward. Um, he's a good friend. And um, I was able to interview and talk to a you know, huge number of athletes and coaches. Um, for women out there listening, I made a real um, point to try and interview and cover and feature as many 
female athletes, teams and coaches as male. Um, historically, many of these books have been written by men and feature, you know, male athletes, teams and coaches. I'm not denigrating them. I do the same. I feature, you know, uh, men's football teams. I feature the All Blacks just in a very limited way because they get featured everywhere else. Um, but there are, so there are Adam Peaty, Tom Daly, but I also feature their female coaches. So there's hopefully a good gender balance there. There's lots of new stories there as well as kind of existing stories that people will know. So I really hope you enjoy the book. And as you've said, James, the royalties for this book are going to the Dames Kelly, Dame Kelly Homes Trust, which is a youth charity which works with young people who face disadvantage due to inequality in their everyday lives. And they put them shoulder to shoulder with world class athletes. So I'm really happy to be donating my royalties back to the trust. Key things to take away. The first half of the book, how to get the best out of yourself over the long term. As I said, it is about thinking um, effortfully about how you show up to work every day to make sure that you can really sustain that performance over the the long term. So I look at how to find your confidence sweet spot, how to leave behind fear, which also looks at perfectionism in that chapter, how to leverage your emotions, um, how to sustain your motivation, how to bring the required discipline to the table and how to prioritize your time. The second half, as I said, is very much how you get the best out of those around you over the long term. So those you lead. And I pick up on some areas which I discovered through the research that I did, both through the sports angle, but also research in the academic world and business world where I cover case studies from Netflix, Microsoft and organizations like that, that there are a small number of areas that make a significant difference in terms of how you get the best out of the people you lead. And those look at things like trust. So how to build trust, how to find the right balance of belief in your people, make sure it's not, you know, unrealistic, but also it's not limiting. Um, How to really build the right sense of belonging. So people really feel like they belong rather than just fitting in. How to develop people in a long term way, how to communicate with a positive impact rather than a negative impact, how to make sure your values really count. Um, And then the last one, which I left to the end because I found particularly fascinating because again, easy in sport, can you do it in business, is how to navigate the ownership conundrum. Something which gets talked about a lot in business at the moment, you know, we should be delegating, we should be empowering our people, we should be giving them a sense of direction and control. We can do that in sport, we know how to, can we transfer that across into the world of business? So that was a chapter I particularly enjoyed researching and writing. Amazing. So look, we're going to give, as I say, um, like we do with when we interview fantastic authors, we're going to give you know people a chance to. So the three, first three people that uh, I'm going to buy um, some three copies of the book, which um, if you put in in the form, which will put accompanied uh, with the podcast and uh, the video, you put into the form. Uh, the first three people to do that will get a copy of the book. Will will, will be sent to them, and so, uh, and I'm sure, as I say, you're going to. There's so many insights you've already shared already today about how to 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 achieve things. And I guess the point for me, which, you know, a lot of people listening to this will maybe not be those big CEOs of big companies or those big, but actually what you talk about and what you've talked about today is actually, this isn't about your position. This isn't about your, you know, your, your hierarchy in the world or whatever. It's just about being true to yourself in many respects. A lot of things that you've talked about there are around actually people just being the best version of them that they can be and having that clear purpose and North style of, you know, I use that phrase a lot as well myself, that that place where they want to, to get to. And they don't need to be in big business to do that. You can be the smallest business doing that, right? You couldn't have summarised it better, James. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, look, well, so thank you. And so the, the final thing I was going to ask you is a question that we've, I've just started to, to ask to, to those that I've done interviews with, and, and uh, I wanted to ask you this, and that's that you've obviously achieved a lot of things in your life and you've got a lot of your life still to, to, to live, but what do you want, you know, when, when people look back and, you know, we don't, never want to think about our the moments when we're, we're not here because we're a long time away, but what do you want people to say about, you know, Catherine, when when, when you're no longer here? What do you want the, the world to say about you and what you've achieved? I'd love for you to, to answer you, you know, that, that question. I'm smiling because it's it's a big question that isn't it but it is it is one I've been asked before and I've sort of heard so um I, I'm going to give what I think is quite a simple answer but it's because it's something I've thought about quite a lot and I think in order to answer something simplistically you have to have thought about it quite a lot first and you should still it down so I I would like people to say she added rather than took away Love, oh my goodness me, I love that. I love that. What a, what a fantastic way to, uh, uh, well, not can't say any more than that. So what's so on, uh, yeah, I've lost words on that whole point. She added rather than took away. Love it. What a brilliant way to. Um, to Thank to, you. I'm glad it's had that response from you. It is because I think it's just a great brief synopsis of, 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 a, of a brilliant purpose and, and way to be so um, no congratulations I love that and, and and you certainly are adding to people and the work you're doing is obviously making a huge difference in so many people's lives and I know it's going to impact a lot of the people listening to this as well so thank you so much I'd like, I could have talked to you for, for for hours and hours and end but I'm conscious of your time and you've got a lot going on and, and thank you for giving up your time today um, how can I know you know people obviously going to get the chance people always sometimes ask me how can I reach and get hold of people you're a very busy lady so I'm conscious I'm not going to give out your you know, details and stuff like that but the best way is obviously for them to get in, you know the book and then get in contact with you i'm sure if you've got some questions i'm sure if you may maybe maybe we even we might even say we'll do a q a one a live q a with you in time that you could you could ask some questions absolutely and in the meantime i mean i'm very happy so i have a huddle on my website which is a free resource for people to to look at there's a whole load of blogs there around many of the things that we've been talking about so the website address is www.sportandbeyond.co.uk um so anyone who wants to and they're all short pieces please do take a look there um to find some insight and some inspiration from there as well and yeah book available on amazon and all the usual sites we'll put the link into the podcast anyway look uh-huh. uh, thank you so much because you know you've given me you've given me four books that i've now got to go and read and, and listen I, I tend to listen to a lot of books and for me which is my oh, yeah. side of the car so i'm a i'm an avid book listener at the moment but um whether you read them or listen to them the key thing is learning and taking that learning and what you shared today that i think is also a prominent thing is is the fact of it's full of that research we're always learning right we're always learning by picking up ideas and insights from other people and that's how you become successful and i'm guessing that's how you've transformed that onto your to your sons to be successful in what they do that, that learning success is a team sport always it always needs a lot of good people around you yeah amazing well look thank you so much for giving me your time i absolutely appreciate it i know everyone's going to love the podcast when it comes out so um couldn't thank you enough and um look as i say uh, finally from thank you from Catherine, thank you and good luck in all the work you do i'm looking forward to the next book it's going to be it's going to be great just to see that come out and we're going to hopefully share some insights in uh, or the people that get the book are going to get some incredible things on how they can stay the distance and succeed in what they choose to do as well so thank you fantastic my pleasure Dennis. i've really enjoyed our conversation thanks so much for inviting me on so there you have it. That was Catherine Baker. Uh, what a brilliant uh, lady, author, who uh, shared some incredible insights then on how to achieve success. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So if you are interested and want to receive a copy of the book, be the first person, put uh, comments in the section below. We've got three comment, uh, three books, uh, copies available. You could have a chance to uh, to get a hold of Coffin's book, Stay in the Distance, and see how you can achieve success that you want. So that's it from this week. See you soon. 
So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed. If you have, please subscribe to the podcast. It helps us ensure more people can get the insights and ideas they need to get incredible sales results. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode.